This podcast is brought to you by Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours. This is Love Notes with Julie and Jonathan. Hi, I'm Julie. And this is Jonathan, and you are listening to Love Notes, where Julie and I get to catch up on things that are very personal to both of us in front of a worldwide audience. Um, so, Julie, how's that itch you were talking about doing? No, I'm kidding. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> I just made that up. Nice. That's nice. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. That was lame. Um, how are you? How are you doing? This uh, We are recording this early in the week. You guys will hear this uh, when the podcast is released on Friday. But uh, Julie and I are heading off to a Polycon this week. So we are getting in this recording uh earlier and i know that um as of this morning julie is having a plumbing issue what's going on at your house thanks yeah (laughs) oh well you know we're in the middle of nowhere so we have a septic system and um you know you got to take care of that stuff every once in a while so so now i maintenance or is it just maintenance or is it okay yeah well it's a little yeah yeah (laughs) it is How, how, how are you other than having your septic system maintained? I'm, I'm crazy. Um, getting ready for a polycon. How about you? I I mean the same. And, uh, you know, I lost last week, uh, with anything that we were going to do because, um, I guess I can talk about this. I shot an episode of mom, the CBS TV series with Alice and Janney and and Anna Ferris last week. Um, I know that some people heard about that, which is amazing. And I'm, you know, thrilled to have the work and they're great. And I loved working with them, but it took out a whole week of prep and anything that we were going to do. Um, so I feel the same way. I think I feel like, I feel like my, on a personal, my emotional plumbing is being maintenance <laughs> today, Julie. That's how it feels. Good. Um, and, uh, and the other big news, if everyone hasn't heard it is we also, uh, last week was a good week. I mean, I did that and you got some good writing done. And also, do you want to tell everybody what happened? Also, we got another, um, deal with MGM with our producing partner over at MGM to, to write, um, a script for a new show, not the company that we had been working on, which we don't really have anything to report on that right now. But we got this new deal. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. And we knew, I think the exciting part is that we knew that they were going to, we had been talking about this. They, it was actually our producer, uh, this woman, Lindsay, who um, I, I think she listens occasionally. Hey, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> was, uh, this was kind of her idea. She had floated to us way back when we first brought the company. And she said, you know, I have another idea. And so we kind of knew that we were going to do it with them. What we didn't know is that they were actually going to go ahead and and give us a script deal up front as opposed to just a pitch. Whereas the company was a thing where we sort of wrote the script on our own. But then the thing that they actually bought from us was the rights to Julie's books and then a pitch that we created. This time they're actually buying a script. So they will own the material and we will, uh, as opposed to, you know, the way indie publishing works where you write something for free basically and then put it out there and then hope that people buy it this is the opposite of that this is more like a traditional publishing deal i guess if right is that like a fair metaphor yeah Yeah, that's kind of cool yeah they're paying us up front to then write something um and so if you haven't already uh, been keyed into this 
that does mean that uh, it's going to slow down some of the production of the Huss McLean stuff. And if you were listening to the last podcast, Jonathan's solo work under the pseudonym J.M. May, it's going to slow down some of the stuff we're going to put out um, as a team and me individually, just because um, script writing is sort of, if book writing is Julie's, you know, is Julie's domain where she is the queen, um, I am I am the queen of the script writing. Like You're the queen. <laughs> I'm going to get a shirt that says queen of script writing. Um, so I will be doing a lot of that outlining and rewriting and rewriting and redrafting and stuff. So that will take up a lot of that time. We will still, we will still release everything that we've talked about. It just may slow down the the pace. And in the meantime, all J.A. Huss books, uh, solo Julie books, and all the books that she's writing under her new pen name, Casey Cross, all of those will release as planned. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I have five books written right now, ready to release. So, um, do, when's the next one coming out? Um, I said April eighth, but I think it'll be April fifteenth, just because okay. um, I feel like I'm losing a week at a polycon. Yeah, at, which is nice because I feel like it's going to be a vacation because I don't write when I'm out of town. I just don't. So it'll be a nice little break for me, but at the same time. I won't be really working. So I might need an extra week. So that's it. But, you know, uh, it'll be worth the wait. Um, so that's kind of a snapshot of what's going on. And as always, we um, we like to take your questions. Thank you again for submitting questions and asking things and being curious. Um, and this is a great question that I think is perfect for what we're talking about. Uh, Lexi has asked, how different is it to write a TV show pilot from writing a novel? Completely different, right? <laughs> Very different. Well, and yeah, novel writing is different depending on the novel too, right? Like different novels get written different. And then writing, co-writing co a novel is very different than writing a novel by yourself. And But I think that um, in your experience with writing a TV pilot, when we worked on the company, what did you learn from that? I learned... I mean, I learned everything was new. So all the right. screenplay writing stuff was all new. But um, it's just very different because you're telling a story a different way because you have to think in pictures, right? Exactly. And then you have to make your words translate into scenes that are pictures, which I kind of do already in my books, but it's not the same. So, yeah. I think, you know, for me, the, it's about economy of language. I think yes. on some level, right? You need far fewer words than you think you need when writing a script in order to convey the story that you're trying to tell. Because you have to take into consideration that the DP, the director of photography, the cinematographer is going to come in and they're going to create a part of the story with the images. And the actors are going to fill in part of the story with the acting. And then the editor, <clears throat> excuse me, then the editor is going to put all that together. A TV show is shot on the set but it's made in the editing room, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and so at the end of the day, the script is actually just a roadmap and a template. Um, the other thing is writing a book. Books are as long or as short as they need to be to tell the story you want to tell. Scripts are very specific. So this new thing in the company was also this uh, will be an hour long TV show. And that means that it needs to be 
in a particular format using the program. It's called Final Draft. Final Draft is the thing you write scripts in. Uh, like Microsoft Word is how Julie and I write books. Um, or Julie, you use pages when you write, right? I do. I use pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I, you know, it works. Um, but uh, but it's like 55 pages. 55, maybe 60 pages absolute top is an hour-long TV show. So there's just lots of rules you have to follow. And um it's a, it's an interesting discipline, but I think that you could adapt to it pretty quickly because you also have a particular set of rules that you follow when you're writing romance. And because you said to me, romance is a genre and genre has rules. And so you are pretty good about like following the structural rules that needs to, that need to happen to get the story across. So I think it would be easy for you to make the, the adjustment. Yeah. And I think having you there, like, I, I think we've talked about this. I, I would not be writing scripts without you for sure. Right, right. Well, the fun part in writing the script too, and we're already into this a little bit, is just building the world. Yeah. Because you're not just telling one story. If we, if this works and we're able to get this show on the air, then, and God, you know, if it turns into a hit, then you've got to tell a story a week for however many episodes a season, for however many seasons. So it's not just about telling one story. It's about building a world that can support I don't know, potentially a hundred stories. And then um, we'll see. It'll be fun. The other thing about this that could be interesting and fun is whereas the last time I just pitched the company on my own and went around and went into rooms and did it with Julie staying in her house uh, uh, with her septic tank. Um, I uh, uh, This time around, we've discussed that Julie should be here. So when we get to the point that we've written the script and MGM owns it and they send it out to all the various networks and TV buyers and Netflix and AB, this one is also going to be different in that we can sell it probably everywhere. So we can sell it to, yeah, to TV and streaming and all kinds of different places. So when everybody in town, everybody in, in Hollywood has the script, whoever is curious to have a conversation about it, we've discussed Julie will come in and, um, Here's the thing that I can't wait to see what fucking happens. Julie Huss in front of studio executives in Hollywood <laughs> is a fucking TV show on its own. So get ready for that shit. That's a fucking reality show waiting to happen. So, <laughs> I, I can't hell. I can't wait to see what happens on Friday when we're on the panel at a Polycon. This is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah, um, it kind of. I think it kind of is. Yeah, I can't wait. Be great. I can't wait to. Um, so so that's some stuff. And we'll talk. Obviously, this is going to be an ongoing thing over the next several months. So we'll keep coming back to this. So thank you for that question. But for now, let us turn uh, our attention briefly to let us pivot and say a thank you and a hello and a shout out to our producer, uh, our audiobook publisher, uh, our friend and uh, a friend to lovers of ear candy worldwide. Oh, my audiobooks. Um, and coming soon from Oh My Audiobooks, the fantastic Pam Godwin. Pam Godwin, who has been on this show uh, and who we know and love, has another audiobook coming down the pike. So if you love Pam's Deliver series, get ready, motherfuckers, because book three is hot out of the oven, and it is called Disclaim. It is another sexy, dark romance, this time about Camilla and Matthias. I think it's Matthias. I didn't narrate it, so I'm not sure. Anyway, returning to Chains is her, that's Camilla's, worst fear. So will Matthias keep her in Chains and never let her go? 
I don't know the answer, you guys. I didn't narrate it, but I'll tell you who did. Abby Creighton and Teddy Hamilton. And I love that, them both. Yeah. I mean, those are two narrators you want to spend a few hours having s- whisper dirty nothings into your ear. So from Abby Creighton, Teddy Hamilton, Pam Godwin, and produced by Oh My Audiobooks, if you don't already have a membership, sign up on Audible today to get your free 30-day trial because Disclaim is available for pre-order now. You know what I like about the way that I do ad copy, Julie? It's what? super smooth and I don't fuck anything <laughs> up. <laughs> you're like you're like a practice professional right there. Oh, my God. So good. Step aside, Morgan Freeman. Um, all right. Before we get into today's conversation with the incredible Julia Kent, um, let's take one more social media question. And um, this one is, this one's a, pretty broad one but i don't know i i I stumbled across it and uh i don't know i think it's worth asking aaron wants to know how has writing changed you how about you go first i mean i think for me there's two answers to that on on a professional level it changed me as an actor uh from a career perspective i mean i've always written while acting but writing for other i wrote one-man shows and stuff so that was for me. It was always for me. Writing bigger stories and certainly writing books and and getting into the whole world building of it all has changed me from a career perspective because now I approach my work uh, with a bigger vision, with a set of eyes that are, I think, a little less selfish, frankly, um, where I can see where my role fits in the whole picture. And I think that's made me a better artist in general. And then on a personal level, I think writing has changed me in the way that I value. I've always been a big fan of language, but I think I try harder, even harder than I did before, I think, to be precise in the way I communicate. Like at the end of the day, words are just, we even wrote this in one of our books, like words are just made up. They're just fucking sounds, right? If, 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 if they actually meant anything, we wouldn't yeah. have different languages. You know, there are no words for hate in, in like Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, I mean, you know, certain, certain things just don't translate certain things. So utilizing language to the best of your ability, even though you understand it's kind of an eh communicator, I think is really important because especially like you and me, I think writing together forces us to communicate better as people with each other, um, so that we understand each other more clearly and each other's vision and each other's ideas. And then that is extended out into my real life. And it's just, I think made me maybe a more patient person and a better communicator and someone who works to be understood and understand more clearly. And I don't think that's just writing like writ large. I think that's also writing with you because navigating an intimate partnership that's based on the idea of sharing words and stories with people it's important that we have our words and stories synced up. And so for me, it's just been, I don't know. I think it's made, I'm, is it too much to say it's made me a better person? I think it's made me a better person. I do. I, I think so. Aww. What about you? It's made you a better person. Um, I don't know that I really have an answer for this because I don't know that I think of it that way. Um, I don't know that it has really changed me. I think it's kind of, fun to tell stories. Um, 
So writing has done that. It certainly changed my life a lot, but I don't know that it has changed me as a person. Maybe, maybe a little bit. You know, I do like to write the bad guy. So getting into the head of a villain or an anti-hero um, has been kind of interesting because you have to see things from their perspective and then turn it around and make them relatable to other people. So I think that's maybe changed me a little bit. Do you see yourself as the misunderstood anti-hero? No. Because you are. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'm, kidding, I'm, I'm kidding, not. Kidding. I'm not. Any, <laughs> I'm not um, looking to be a hero. That's for sure. Oh, so maybe true. I have that that's in common true. with them. But, um, but no, I don't really um, think about that stuff too much. Yeah, I just think I don't know. Na- writing was just such a natural transition for me that I don't think much changed. Well. That's the benefit of, no, it's a good answer. It's, it's, a weird, it's, it's weird <laughs> answer. basically what we have just said is Julie knows who she is. I'm still figuring that shit out, which is, which is pretty accurate. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> someone else who very much knows who they are and who we know one Julie and I both know personally, and we were thrilled to have her on the show. And as I, I said to her, um, Thus far, I mean, we're 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 in, still in the process. We have many more conversations coming, but thus far, I feel like Julia Kent was sort of the apotheosis of what we s- were striving to do with this podcast. Insofar as um, it was the most casual, comfortable, easy conversation, it also felt informative and and rich. And I don't know, I love her. I know you love her, and she's the best. And I this love was her. Just a delight. To, to do with her. So um, please enjoy this conversation. She's an amazing, amazing person, um, an amazing, amazing writer. Uh, and if you don't know her work, you should. So enjoy our conversation with Julia Kent, and we'll be back in a little bit. And joining us today is best-selling New York Times and USA Today author Julia Kent. Um, she has sold over 1.5 million books. Uh, she's been on the New York Times bestseller list four times. Is that four times, Julia? Yes. And Yay. 16 times on USA Today? It's actually up to 18 now. Yay. Oh, well, smell you, Lucy Lou. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Well, welcome. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you for having me. Yay. Yay. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Julie. Thanks. Thanks to both of you for having me. Thank you. Now, you and how, how long have you guys known each other? I mean, it goes back to 2013, I think. Like, we didn't really know each other back then, but we were in contact. Yes, I remember. I think we first met in 2016, 15, but we met online back in the day on K-Boards in the Writer's Cafe. That, and I remember when Random Acts of Crazy went crazy, right? <laughs> And yes. you had sent my book blog, New Adult Addiction, an email, um, and you were like, hey, could you feature me? And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Uh, yes, you know. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank that was you. my oh, very you. first contact with you was that email. And I was so jealous. I was so jealous <laughs> of you. Because random. Why, why were you jealous? Um, just because because random acts of crazy went crazy. Right, Julia? It did. It did in June of 2013. This was back kind of in the stone age of, well, not quite, <laughs> of, of self-publishing, but it stayed in the top 100 on Amazon for three weeks. 
I mean, that's on, bananas. Even I know with that. A, with a $70 marketing budget. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. stuff you could do back in 2013. You absolutely could. And so, and, and I remember when it hit and when it stuck, that extraordinary feeling of logging in, I was about to say every day, but no, checking sales every hour and realizing it wasn't going down yeah. and then thinking, okay, I have to do everything I can to keep this going. And that's when I realized, oh, I have to actually market. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> well, so, so to that point, like what, so what led up, so what led up to that? Like, what were you doing before that? And was that sort of a, your big breakthrough moment? And, and how did you get there? That actually random acts of crazy was my, in a way, my second breakout. Um, depending on how you define breakout. Right. I had been in in March of 2013, my fifth book came out and it took off on Barnes and Noble. It reached number six wow. in wow. the store. And it didn't do as well on Amazon. And that book was called Maliciously Obedient. But it did well enough that in March of 2013, I made as much in one month as I made in a year at my job. It was a part-time job. What, and that, what, was the, what was the job? I worked in university administration for a well-known college outside of Boston okay. and had been a college professor and administrator for a couple decades. Oh, and by the way, I was a college professor. Yes. <laughs> right, so, so, okay, I just have to add that Julie and I managed to find, as my husband says, an industry even more dysfunctional than academia. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so to yes, so to that point, so so for me, just because you guys know each other, can you back up even before that? Then, so you're at your fifth book, and that does the thing on Barnes and Noble. So, at what point did you decide make a? So, was it a conscious decision? I'm going to leave academia and write, or did you fall into like how did it happen that you knew that you wanted to move in this direction? Good question. Um. I did not set out to publish my own fiction with an idea that it would ever be a full-time sustaining uh, business. I, I didn't have that. It became a goal, but it wasn't the goal in the beginning. I started out because I had been doing business writing and SEO consulting on the side for years. And people in forums those forums, business writing forums, started in late 08, early 09, started talking about this thing called the Kindle and how they were they were dusting off old books and articles and keyword articles and business business book uh, business articles and and making, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 dollars a month off of this selling these things. And then the stories just started to get bigger and bigger and finally in 09, late 09, I started lurking on K-boards, which at the time, the Writer's Cafe, that was one of the few places you could find out What, what was that? K-boards. It was called Kindleboards back then, remember? And then Amazon got up on their shit about the name. <laughs> yes, they did. But back, remember Thanks back then? Thanks to our then, sponsor, Amazon. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> <kidding. laughs> Well, I, Julie, do you, you probably remember back then, it was Joe Conrath's blog. Yeah. It was... The Kboard or Kindle Boards Writers Cafe, and maybe a handful of other self-publishing places. Joanna Penn, I think I yeah, hadn't I even think, heard of her yet. <clears throat> um, she came around and, pretty quick, but I don't think it was back then. Yeah. 
so it was it was really um it was a very small group of people and a very I wouldn't say tight knit, but it was um you pretty quickly got to know who the characters were in o nine and ten and so I played around with some failed books um and then finally, in late twenty twelve decided that I was going to publish but i I started publishing from a really it was a very purposeful um effort. So I had a I have a child with special needs and I've talked about this openly online and we didn't know what was wrong with him he was 2 at the time and he we were accumulating massive medical debt trying to understand and get tests and uh, so much was not covered by insurance and we had good insurance and so we reached a point where we were in debt tens of thousands of dollars on credit cards and still had no answers and I realized that I needed to find a way to make some money that could help us to unlock some of this. And so I made a decision that erotic romance was popular. I was going to write erotic romance. And I thought there are very few books at the time about curvy women. And I, I, I'm a curvy woman, so I'm going to write about a curvy woman and then billionaires were popular. And so it's, it was sort of like, like assembling a Lego sculpture of what are all of the elements that I can put together to make this successful and to sell books, but also to make it enjoyable. Because when you are parenting a child with special needs, um, the sort of the burdens on your time are really different than they are when, and I have children who are neurotypical and I have children with special needs and so the escape, I wanted to write something that would be fun to write and that would be generative for me. And so that was really how I got into it. And by I, the first, my first uh, book, Julia Kent book came out in November of 2012. And by January, I was making sig- solid money and I put out four novellas. And then in uh, late, it was late February, early March, I put out maliciously obedient and it just took off it was part of a cross promotion with other authors and that was that's sort of the genesis of it all that's how i got into it but the the best feeling was when random acts of crazy exploded in june of 2013 in august when that payment those payments came in and i could write five figure checks to credit card companies and I could say, we can fly to Nashville, Tennessee, to meet with speech-language pathologists who are experts in the world and get our child the diagnosis that turned out to be correct. The fact that I could do that was, I, I'm going to, I got to be careful, I'm going to choke up, was extraordinary. And so um, I didn't plan for any of it, uh, but this is how it's happened. It's been a joy. That's amazing. What an incredible story you know embedded i mean necessity is the mother of invention right but yes absolutely <laughs> i agree too 100% right but embedded inside of that though is something that i heard that may not be immediately um, decipherable but i think it wasn't a purely transactional relationship as you describe it because the important part that i like that you highlighted is i wanted it to still feel like a joy or something that you use the word joy is something that I could engage with something that you felt good about making. And I think that like, it's there are millions of ways to make money. 
Yes. And so to choose to do it this way, I think it's so critical that I I would imagine, do you agree that you attribute part of your success to the fact that it was still coming from an authentic place, that it wasn't just pure opportunism? I mean, I, I have to imagine that the books are good because you care about them. Oh, absolutely. Right? And that was that was part of it all. I there I had other opportunities where I could have made money. I mean, SEO consulting, business writing, there's there at the time back in 2012, there were plenty of consulting things I could have done. My husband was a software developer, we could have made job changes. So it's not that we didn't have opportunities. It was more I needed a high degree of flexibility. I saw an opportunity that I had just this feeling that "Mm, there's something here. And even if this doesn't work out, then I have, I had the joy of writing fiction again had come back to me. I had written um, about 20, oh, it's been that long. (laughs) I'm dating myself. (laughs) Um, Late, I've written fiction or nonfiction since I was 16 uh, for, for pay. So I was a columnist in my weekly, local weekly newsletter or newspaper rather when I was 16. But I had written fiction, but it was more literary fiction back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I had, I'd been nominated for the push cart award. I had been, um, accepted into some fairly major writers conferences. I had been offered a full ride to get my master's degree in creative writing and for various reasons, didn't, didn't pursue that. So I had a writing background, but I hadn't written fiction in a long time. And and what I found so amazing was being 100% in charge of the story mm. and getting to choose how I wrote it. I didn't write according to like I, I don't do the th- I don't I don't follow the three act structure. I don't write to beats. I'm probably going to like be set on fire by half of the indie community by admitting all that. I don't even um, know what a beat. I don't know what a beat <laughs> is. What is yeah, a Julian, beat? Yeah. Julian, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I sat down and thought, I'm going to write a story about this woman who is lonely and wants to find somebody who's going to not not complete her, but I wanted to her to find someone who would help her to be the better version of who she already was. Maybe join her. Yeah. Yeah. And and I always say that my heroines, their biggest conflict is that they realize they have to get out of their own way, that they're the biggest obstacle. Sure. And and so that was kind of, I think, in some ways, when I started to write uh, contemporary romance, romantic comedy, that was part of the feeling. It was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to imagine that there's this woman who is seeking the same things that everybody else is seeking. Well, what's her journey and how can I make it funny? And, and I didn't, I actually didn't intend to write romantic comedy. I just kept being funny. (laughs) Well, I have to stop you here and say, you are one of the most clever, funny people I've ever met in my life. Like your wit is off the charts. Oh, thank you. Just even in um, chats and Facebook and stuff, you just kill me. Like every day you're saying something just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say I've been very recently, uh, Julie, for those listening, Julie uh, invited me 
into the small writers group online that she's a member of, which Julia is also a member of. And I'm privileged to have been included in that conversation because I can vouch for what Julia just said. Like, uh, I, as is well known, like I try and be as fucking pithy as I possibly can. I'm a regular <laughs> goddamn Oscar Wilde. And, and, uh, and like, I stopped trying to compete because I'm a very competitive person, but I was like, oh, I'll put in something clever and I'm new to the group and I should put in something charming and like make everybody, you know, like fall in love with me. And Julia came back with something that was like five times funnier. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. Thanks so much. I see. <laughs> I, I got it. Copy that. Thanks. Um, and now and now I feel like I'm supposed to come up with something witty right now on the spot. You don't, have to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. I got, I got nothing. <laughs> No, just um, it, you're just thank you. So good at it. So good at it. Thank you. And and so and so to, yeah, you were you were talking about there were other ways you. I mean, yes, nobody goes into the creative arts thinking like I know how to make a bunch of cash. All right, I'm <laughs> no, <sure."> nope. <laughs> I mean, today they do. That's what they think today. Well, and that's why I thought it was important to to highlight what Julia was saying about not just doing it because she was trying to make money, but finding the thing that was authentic to her. I mean, Julie, you do that as well. You and I have talked about this at length. Um, you know, you're a really smart person and you've done many other things. There are many other ways you could go about this. So it's it's the stories that you feel like you need to tell or that you want to tell. And I don't know how it is for you, Julia, but Julie, as you know, too, like has a million ideas in her head at all times and just needs to get them out. It's that need to get the stories out that should drive you yes. first. And then the other stuff you figure out how to do to turn it into a profitable enterprise. Yes, definitely. I, I, I often say that I'm, I hope that I am 95 and on my deathbed and laying there going, but I have other books to write. Because <laughs> um, you, know, you publish I, like I do. How yeah. many books did it, you publish last year, this year? twenty. Well, 2018 was light. I published nine. Nine. Um, uh, lazy <laughs> motherfucker. I am, man. I'm, it's just like like bonbons for me this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, well, in, and I, the, the previous three years, it was 11. And some of those were co-authored. Um, but as you guys know, it's not like 50-50 when you co-author a book, it's definitely each person is putting in way more than 50% of the work. Yeah. And it's so, like a hundred, a hundred. Oh, come on. It's more like 95, 95. Like, but, but it's, um, but yeah, so. I'm glad you said that. I thought you were going to say, you know, it's not 50, 50, you know, Julie's doing all the work. Oh, no. that's that was that's I'm not witty, true. not mean. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, the, 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 it is exponentially harder uh, to, to work with someone in some ways because you are doing the same amount of work and then, you know, joining that with someone else's efforts too. So the, the effort is, I think, appreciably greater in some ways because the amount of time that you have to spend dialoguing in real life, yes. right, about what's happening is yeah. time consuming too. And normally you just do that in your own head. Right. Or right. you have a maybe a critique partner. Like my husband is my, we call him my alpha reader because he reads mm. everything that I write. He's the first to read it. He reads the total messes when they're, you know, messy. And he, he is, but, and so I have him to bounce ideas off of. But 
in the two co-authoring relationships that I have, which are both have both been wonderful, um, and I'm not just saying that. I it's been really it's it forced me as a total pantser first of all. To, no, no, hang on. Sorry, pantser because I just learned this. <laughs> okay, pantser is right so, by the seat of your pants. Is that, is that what that yeah, means? Exactly. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so there are plotters and there are pantsers, and I am a pantser to to the nth degree. Mm. But um, and the two people that I've co-authored with have fortunately neither of them has been a an ultra plotter. But they, I've had to. I find myself understandably and rightly so in the position of having to explain um, my ideas or what were what you know the the question of what were you thinking about that scene when you hand off. Um, like when I hand off a, a scene to someone that I've written and they often come back and say, okay, before I can jump in, I need to understand where you're going with this. And to have to actually form those words <laughs> has, has, I think it's actually improved the writing that I do on my own. And that was an outcome that I wasn't expecting. That's so, interesting because Jonathan and I have, I have, he has written back to me and said, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I will yeah. say a couple of and I will say something like, "Don't worry, I do." <laughs> it, th th yeah, that that was that was. I feel like that's happened less as well to the point of of being prolific and productive. I mean, we finished our. We knew we were going to do a four book series, and then after that, Julie was like, "What do we do next?" And I was like, "Okay, I can. I don't, I don't know, Julie. I can maybe do one more book this year, maybe now." And we've done seven. <laughs> And we've done, we did seven in a year when I said, maybe I would do one more at most. And if we could take like nine months to write it and then we did three more in like four months. <laughs> so and you've, you've, seven, you've put out seven, seven in, in a year, seven in a year. So we did seven in 2018 and slackers. slackers. I, 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 well, I did and, five and, too. And she did five on her own. Yeah. And then <laughs> you beat I, me, Julie, you beat me. You did 12. Man, did 12 now, okay. So, so now I'm going to have to do 12 next, 13 next year. And yeah. Yeah. And then, well, listen, if you really want to, if you really want to best both of us, you can also do a TV show, a movie, a television pitch and narrate 14 audiobooks. Uh, because that I'll was get right on that. that was the year between us. Like it is, it is actually impossible what we did, but, but we did it. And I, and, and what has happened back to the point about like, Julie, what's happening in this scene? Yeah. I don't know. I'll figure it out later. And, and yeah. then I have to write off of that. What we have gotten better, I, I think you would agree with this, is that we have gotten better about sort of being able to articulate to what Julia was saying, where yeah, we I, think it's going. Yeah. I think yeah. after I seven like books, we, we should have improved, and I think we have. Yeah. How did you pick your writing partners, Julia? So um, my co so my friend Gretchen Galway, who is also a romantic comedy writer, and I absolutely love her books. We were, we've known each other. She's my oldest self-publishing industry friend. We met on Kindle boards and we went to RWA together for the, well, it was my first time in 2011. And so we were at Novelists Incorporated, which is um, a wonderful industry group that has a conference every year down in Florida. And we were there in 2014 and I blame a bottle of Tito's vodka <laughs> for what happened because we had a lovely chat. And if at one point, I don't remember which one of us said it. One of one of us said, you know, we should write a series together. Yeah, we should write. 
shifters. Yeah. We should write billionaire shifters. And it just kind of went from there. <laughs> um, and to our surprise, we kind of, we, we, we actually did it. We sat down and plotted out and had a lot of fun. And we didn't plot in great detail, but we came up with the basic storyline. And it's, it's a, it, and we just started writing. And it, we, we've written six books. And we consider the series complete. Fans don't. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. You know, but but that was that was how I started with with Gretchen, and we we wrote the the shifters. And then my other co-author is Elisa Reed, and she started out as my copy editor and sort of more of a content editor. And she was working on some of my books, and she came back to me one day a couple of years ago, I guess about three years ago, and said, I can't stop thinking about this little side part of your shopping series where you created this O-Spa, and there's a spa called the O-Spa, and in the series it's called The Fourth Space for Women. Fabulous. And it's kind of, yeah. Well, imagine, imagine like a very high end spa combined with a really raunchy male review women's club. I'm imagining it right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and she said, I would love to write about those, but I have this idea about this character. And, and I was stunned. And I said, well, tell you what, write a scene, go ahead. And let's, and it went from there. And so we've written two books together. We're partway through a third, but she's also my she's also my editor. So, and she has she's a National Press Club member. She's a Harvard alum. She oh, okay. does a lot of stuff, a lot of editing um, for major uh, publishing houses, and and so it's just been really interesting. And and in that case, um, she had never written fiction before. Not, or not certainly not at this level, and so it was a very different relationship because Gretchen was very well versed and in in techniques and and whatnot, where Elisa had lots of raw talent, but needed needed some more guidance on narrative arcs and things that you do and don't do in a romance in a genre specific romance novel. So I mean the, that those that, rules. <laughs> Julie, Julie can talk about trying to educate me on that because that's right. the, that's where she, that's where she earned her purple heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's a process, right? Because romance does have rules. Um, oh yes, and they change from subgenre to subgenre. So mm-hmm. yeah. They absolutely do. And if you don't meet readers' expectations, you have to be really careful about what your what your goals are. Right. And, you know, meaning it's a it's totally fine to write a book that breaks all the rules, but don't expect there to be a, a lack of consequences to doing that. Um and you know, and, and and by consequences, I mean that neutrally. You can have very positive consequences, and you can also have very very negative ones. So, so learning to internalize those those romance rules, uh, it's important if you're going to write in romance. If you're writing a mystery, who cares what the romance rules well, are? Well, yeah, but in mystery, you have to deliver uh, a dead body, right? And you mm-hmm. have to deliver the answer. So yes. it's it's the same thing. 
in romance and mystery is that you have to give the readers of that genre what they're looking for. Yes. Yes. And I'm very pragmatic. To me, you know, there there have been a lot of arguments online, endless arguments online about what makes a romance a romance. And to me, if you're marketing it in the publishing industry as a romance in that category, then follow the rules if you want readers to follow you. And you can break the rules, but Mm -hmm. you have to follow, you have to follow them at the same time. (laughs) That makes any sense. Yes. And that's its own, you know, that definitely is a, its own craft discussion, isn't it? Because I break the rules all the time. I do all kinds of crazy stuff that you're not supposed to do. Um, But there's a balance and there's a, and there's a, there's a positive and a negative to, to everything that we do. Well, you know, I I shared this with Julie and and since you brought up mystery, you know, Raymond Chandler is a famous, you know, Mm -hmm. and his, he had his view on, I think it was pulp fiction that he was commenting on. Yep. Said something along the lines of some of us, something, some of us tried to break the formula, but we would usually get caught and sent back. Uh, and it was something along the lines that the, the thesis was to exceed the limits of a formula without destroying it is the dream of every writer who is not a hopeless hack. And Ooh, I, like I that. always thought that that was a really good guiding principle, you know, to to sort of figure out where those lines exist. And I, I mean, I, I can say that for me, part of the reason that I was originally I mean, I originally approached Julie about doing anything together. It was obviously screenwriting as opposed to novel writing. But the reason that the conversation happened was because I had narrated at that point a lot of romance novels. And yes. and in narrating Julie's stuff, I was like, I would I would literally stop and sometimes flip the page back and forth and go, what the fuck is, did I just, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? I don't. Well, is it, is it Julie's title, the queen of the mind fuck? That is, like, that isn't is her that title. Like some official, like. Like, <laughs> it is on her business card. <laughs> um, and so, and, and, and so it's because I do think that certainly, and you guys tell me, like, I am so a babe in the woods in this world, but not in the world of creating entertainment for people to consume. And so I understand the need to give a consumer what it is that they want to digest. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. quick segue for years. Uh, I wanted to, do like really meaningful, important work on television. And when I finally got cast uh, in, in, a, in a major role on a TV show and I, uh, it wasn't the West Wing. And it took me like, it took me like a few episodes to realize like, oh, the work I'm doing is actually harming the, the form because I'm trying to convert this into a thing that it is not and it can't support yes. that. And I will break it and then it will be nothing. Right. So it's finding Mm -hmm. that boundary. And, and I don't, I don't know, I will ask both of you, Julie and I have actually never talked about this. Do either of you consciously seek to do that? Or do you just try and stay true to your voice and then let the chips fall where they may? I'll let you go first, Julia. Well, I can say that to some extent, I consciously break, oh, I want to be careful about how I say this. And I don't mean careful in, in some worried about offending people, but more here comes the academic in me wanting precision in language. I think that when I write my shopping series, shopping for a billionaire, so it's mystery shopper meets 
billionaire. <laughs> it's pretty simple. <laughs> I love it. I I write it thinking of it less as contemporary romance and more as romantic comedy. And in and so I have created a cast of characters in that. And I've gotten dinged by hardcore romance readers in reviews who say why are all these other characters in there? She spends more time with her friends in these, you know, in the first half of the book than she does with, you know, Declan. But their point is that they came for a romance where the 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 two leads are the absolute center. They are the 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 sun around which the planets revolve. But I like the planets. I think the planets are worth exploring <laughs> a little bit. And in a rom-com, that's true. There's a cast of characters who surround, you know, there's the yeah. all of the stereotypes. And and so I found myself as that series, as the shopping series um, progressed long enough to start to see that there was a pattern, I actually started to look at um, what I was doing. And I thought, well, should I change? And I realized that I, I really liked what I was doing. And I actually started to do it even more and <laughs> created more subplots because to me, I was creating a world. I wasn't just creating a, a romance between these two people. I had, you know, they had families and they had extended, you know, siblings and they had coworkers and people who worked for them and they had you know, chauffeurs and, and pilots and, and uh, bodyguards. And so I guess in that sense, I didn't initially consciously break that rule, but I started to consciously focus on making sure that I held held the the larger cast there. And in the end, on balance, I get more compliments for that than I get negative input. But to your point about the difference between the readers, because... Yeah, they call me this queen of the mindfuck because that's what I put out. Not every time, but lots of times. And so I um, I just got a review from somebody who read the new book. And it was not somebody that normally reviews for me because I looked wide for reviewers for this one. And um, she said, well, I was looking for an erotica and this is an erotica. Well, yeah, first of all, I don't write erotica. Um so I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry you stumbled upon my book. But second, um, yeah, who cares, right? Like, it, it's like, this is just what I write, this dark, twisted tale. Um, and no, it isn't erotica. So if you don't want to go along for the ride that I'm going to take you on, I'm probably not your author, right? I'm, I'm not this person's author. Um, yes. And so that I, I have gotten pretty comfortable with that. Because when I first started doing nonfiction, um, I I kind of felt like I had to trick people into buying it because it was an ebook, right? And this was like in 2008 when nobody was really buying downloadable things. And I finally got to a point where like, you know what? It's stupid to trick people into thinking this is something it isn't. And I should just meet their expectations and be upfront about everything. And so... I carried that with me into the fiction when I, when I started writing fiction and I thought, I'm just going to tell people what they're getting. And then if they want it, they can buy it. And if they don't, they can skip it. Yes. So being, being just putting yourself out there, this is, this is who I am. This is what I write. This is what you're going to get. 
And if you like this, great. And if not, move on. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Because Julie and I have just released, or in two, two, two of those seven books, um, were, um, were I guess what we're calling rom-coms. I mean, I, I am still learning the dimensions of the rules. So, but that's how we labeled them. And interestingly, they did very well. Um, they did so, so well within Julie's core fans. Um, by which I mean, some of them were like really refreshed by the notion of Julie doing something wildly different. And I think impressed by the fact that they didn't know she could be funny. Right. Like they were like, holy shit. (laughs) She's hilarious. And this dark evil girl can make a joke. (laughs) And, um, and so that was, uh, that was an interesting uh, path that we went down and that we will continue to to go down. The reason I bring it up is that we did that under our same names. Um, yes. Do, which is, was an interesting tactic to choose. Uh, you write under a variety of pseudonyms. Do you do that so that readers who gravitate to a particular thing know which author name to look for? Yes. So I began the Melly Rain pen name so that I could write much darker romantic suspense. I don't consider it dark romance. I don't have antiheroes. Um, and that's nothing against dark romance. I just don't want anyone to pick up a Melly Rain book thinking it's going to be um, something more, something darker. But I, I wanted to write something different. And I also wanted to... I write a lot. I have a lot of ideas. I have no problem writing hundreds of thousands of words. I, I write about 800,000 words a year. Good God. And I don't publish, well, no, I don't publish that many, but that's what I write. And I write in fits and bursts. I mean, my, I think my record is something like 17,000 words in You're a day. You're a lunatic. That's the um, craziest shit I've ever type, heard. Typing. I, it, it, it's, it is crazy. And, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't because of a deadline. I actually did it as a challenge, but <laughs> I, for, I yeah. just wanted to do it. I, d- I did. I was curious. Um, I had been doing but... Molly all night and <laughs> I had to get it out of my system. If Molly is the name of a coffee, right, then sure, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's probably somebody. But, um, it. Th- there, there should be, that would be, Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, so I, chose to write under a different pen name for a couple of reasons. One is that Julia, my Julia books are kind of crazy comedy. And so at the time that I put out the Melly Rain, that I was writing the Melly Rain stuff, my shopping series was just getting off the ground. And so I didn't know that shopping was going to be what would actually take off. And so at the time I had my random acts of crazy, my random series, which random acts of crazy is over the top erotic comedy. It is, I mean, I have women and men doing uh, insane stuff in there. So let's just Mm -hmm. put it that way. And so when I was writing the romantic suspense, I realized it was so radically, so different from what I wrote as Julia that I would have very upset readers if they picked up a book thinking it was a Julia Kent book. And in retrospect, I think I would have 
this is one of those, if I could go back in time, moments. I think I would have been fine if I had branded everything differently, but we don't know until we try something. Sure. You don't know until you know, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and it's it's done having a different pen name has been good. If and the other thing is if I could go back in time, I would pick Julia. Like I would have the same first name. So I decided to use the Melly Rain name to differentiate between the two so that Julia Kent readers wouldn't be confused. And what was most interesting was that I finally made the decision to reveal, and Julie was part of this decision, actually. Was I? And well, remember at there was a, a wasn't there talk about didn't I talk about this at a conference that we both attended? Oh, smarter artist. Yeah. Do you remember we had this whole talk talk about it? Um, but at any rate, I I decided to let the Julia Kent readers know that I was Melly Rain. And that was an interesting process. And what I learned from that was that I had certain readers who would just follow me through whatever sure. I write. Yeah. And you guys have found that with your romantic comedy, yeah, I'm sure. sure. And but but so that's the kind of thing I couldn't have known that I would have that kind of fan base until I went ahead and made a decision and had the two separate pen names. And that's the kind of thing where I think, well, if I could go back in time, I probably would have just done it as Julia, but I didn't. And now I have the two different, two different names. Well, it's hard to know. I think most people read more than one genre. However, in romance, I think that's less true. Um, I think you're right. For some hardcore romance readers. So I think it's really hard to know how much of that will cross over yes. when you do something new. I mean, because Jonathan and I experienced it together, right? There was, um, I'd say, a good portion of people followed me over to the Julian Jonathan. But there's still a subsection there that is not going oh, to. Oh, you're not even you talking know? about the rom-coms. So you're actually just talking about yeah. bringing me on it all. Yeah, for sure. Yes, I've I've noticed that um, with the books that I've co-authored with Elisa, um, they haven't sold as well as just a Julia Kent novel. Yeah, so your name only goes so far. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, my name, your name. Anyway, well, I think. Name, well, right? look, it's a, let 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 me make a comparison that everyone will jump right on board with: Kanye and Jay Z. Um, <laughs> but 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 if I were to actually no, but I mean like before Kanye went crazy, I mean there's a point to be made in that those guys released an album that did stratospherically well, or Jay Z just released an album with his wife that did stratospherically well. They had already established themselves independently as their own entities, and in, in a in a sort of a milieu that everyone was operating in the same stratosphere, right? They operated in the same orbit. You brought yes. me you with your co-writer Elisa who you were just saying had done some other stuff and you brought her in Julie brought me in and I think that honestly Julie the the only way that it worked at all was that you were very smart about the way that you gradually introduced me first make sure they understand we outed me as the uh, narrator of her books. And so the fact that I had narrated a bunch of romance books and so that a lot of these audiobook listeners had already heard my voice and knew who I was, at least through that, sort of credentialed me as someone who at least functioned in the romance world, right? 
And then, yeah. and then I was trying to help yeah. Julie adapt this or continue to where Julie and I are, you know, helping each other adapt her stuff into TV show. So that was another way in which we were already. So we had gone through several hurdles uh, in terms of explaining our relationship as collaborators before we got to the point where we said, and we're writing books together. And I think that that helped and it's still been hard. And so I think that the, yeah. the point would be like, if you were already engaging with someone who is a well-established writer in their own regard in this world, certainly that feels easier. That creates excitement. Whereas bringing in like you did with Elisa or Julie did with me, I think creates some natural, and I understand it. I, I don't begrudge it at all, but I think breeds some skepticism. And, yes. and so thus seven books in one year, right? Like I think we have sort of <laughs> ameliorated for the the readers the idea that this is going to go sideways and the ones that we have won over, we've won over. And I think the other thing is it's important to establish like, no, this is this is something that we're doing. It doesn't mean Julie's going to stop writing her own books, but this is a long distance right. run that we're doing. Yes. Now, do, I, I have to ask you guys a question. Do you get readers asking who writes which All parts? Time. All the time. Yeah. And have they been correct in guessing? No. Um, well, I think when we do the different male-female POVs, it's pretty easy because I'm usually doing the woman and he's usually doing the man. However, there are scenes and chapters where we cross I mean, and I see. Yeah, that's exactly how we do it. Um, sometimes it's out of necessity, right? Like sometimes I like yeah. seriously, like I was finishing filming something and we had a deadline and I, she was like, I dude, I'm waiting on that chapter. And I was like, I hear you. Could you give it? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so right. she wrote, and, and, but, but we do is if there's something earmarked, do you guys do this? If there's something earmarked for one of us and the other one has to take first pass at it, it's definitely a pass, and then the other writer gets a chance to go in and and tinker and sort of cultivate what they would have done in that same in that same set setting a little differently. We definitely do that um, in, in both of my co-authoring uh, co-authoring relationships, um, and there are times when an idea just whips through one of us, especially with Gretchen and the Shifter books, and sometimes one will will finish you know I'll finish a scene and then I'll go and start writing her scene because I have such a crystal clear idea of what's going on. And then I'll say to her, so I got a little carried away. Here's 4,000 words right. or whatever. Um, take it, you know, feel free to reject it or whatever. And once in a while she does the same. And, you know, so we have this, there's a fairly equal amount of it. And it's so interesting because I don't think there's ever been a time that we've been like, Oh no, nah. You know, it's always been like, oh, ooh, I, that's a great direction. I didn't yeah, think for that. Sure. And with Elisa, it's um, it's so interesting because she is she has a design background, and so she's really into uh, describing details in a in a really really like clarity kind of way. It's um, where I'm not as big on on details and description. And she's really good at doing it in a way that feeds the story rather than kind of, you know, um, info dumping sure. the way that right. yeah. some people yeah. do. And it's always interesting to read her stuff because I'll 
there'll be this beautiful scene that she'll write, you know, in a, a an office setting in Boston or a dinner, you know, good, like at a restaurant, a, a really wonderful scene. And then I'm, I feel like I'm just writing the same seven boring words over and over again after something that gorgeous, you know, and I'm like, so they went to the fountain. Kissed, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. They walked over to the tea and they bought their tickets. And, you know, like, because she's got, you know, the, all of the, the, these like high end brand names woven into the sure. story in a way that like f- really feeds it. And uh, so, so that's, that's that difference there too. And, and the, the part that I find really hard with co-authoring and having audience members not come along to the new series is that the books are so good. Yeah. It, yeah. re- it breaks my heart and and I'm not saying that in a braggy kind of way, but it's like if you love these books, you're going to adore these books. Why are you not buying these books? Um, and and it it always is amazing to me to um, run some kind of a marketing promotion and have diehard readers who say, "Oh, I just picked up that book, and I think I we published that two years ago." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, great i'm thrilled you're reading it but like ah. um and i wish i knew i wish i knew like what the trick well, here's is a, How let do me you... I, I have a can i can i posit something from my from my sure. like embryonic uh <laughs> visage here um sure. something julie has done and i don't know to what degree you maintain uh an online engagement with your readers um but julie basically gifted me half of her reader group in uh online and explained to me very clearly you got to engage you got to interact with them you must make your presence now we're talking about the diehard fans as you were just discussing and so yeah, over the last right. it's i mean it's been a year now but over the last year i i feel like i've done an okay job of engaging with them and letting them know who i am letting them know that we have, you know, an equivalent, uh, or I guess parody in our partnership. And, and at some point it's sort of just started to soften a little. Julie, does that feel right to you? Is that kind of like how it feels like it's been successful? I think I never thought it, it was hostile in any way. No, no, not at, at all. all hostile. Just, just yeah. skeptical. But I do think they're more comfortable with you now. And they look forward to your posts. I know that for sure. Right. Well, also you're a dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that. I don't mean that in any negative sense, but that's there. That's rare in a reader group, hanging out, talking, chatting, you know, laughing at memes yeah. or pictures of hot guys or well, that's what the have thing. you. Like I'm um, the gayest straight guy you're ever going to meet. Like, like I. <laughs> oh, you. You need to meet my husband. Uh, no. Well, well, tell me how is he? Is he cute? Um, so, <laughs> well, think- all right. Um, I uh, yeah. I mean, the other thing is like they also we we I'm 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 generally an open <laughs> no pun intended. I'm generally an open book. I will talk candidly about it. So they have they know my wife. They've met her online. They've seen her. They you know. They, so it feels like I I think you know the honesty that I guess is the thing right trying to be as honest with them as I can be, except the fact that, um, uh, that some people aren't ever going to come around and not get snippy about it. Right. 
and then and then right. just continually try and and be present because I, honestly, I don't know what it is in your collaborations, but Julie has become seriously after my wife. She's the second most important person in my world. I talk to her more than I talk to anybody else. I have the most intimate relationship with her. And, uh, at some point, I think the walls just started to come down in terms of them understanding that, and that right. I wasn't, and I yeah. wasn't trying to steal her. Yeah. Right. I'm not trying to change what Julie Huss does or, or fuck that up in any way. Like I am grateful to be invited in. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if that it feels like it has any resonance for you in terms of how to crack that. But it's been a long, hard road. And it's just been me constantly making myself uh, uh, known to them. It's great that you guys have found Well, Julie has a particularly active and amazing group because she's cultivated that so carefully and, and done such a fabulous job. Yeah. And I think, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I love them. I hope they're listening. I love them. I, I mean, they, they're, it's un it's unbelievable. The level of the level of dedication and also like the, the level of generosity that Julie extends to them. And, and what I don't think they get are they, uh, and if you're listening, uh, Shrike fans, that's that, that's what we call them. They're Shrike, they're Shrike <laughs> bikers. Um, uh, yes. I'm in oh, the group. Okay. Yeah. 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 I am. I never, I never post because I generally don't like to post in other authors groups. Right. I, I feel like that's like walking into somebody's house and sitting down on their, you know, couch without being invited. In. Yeah, but, I, I get that. Um, but what, what, what they, what you, what they may or may not realize is uh, the, the like reclusive misanthropic Julie Huss, leave me the fuck alone persona. No, that's real. That's real. <laughs> so, <laughs> So the fact that she is as giving of herself is like, you guys don't realize how monumentally important that is. <laughs> she just doesn't do it. Like you, she doesn't do it for anybody else, really. I mean, she's so giving. Julie, you really are. You're so giving to your readers. And you, the, the reciprocity that exists there in terms of appreciation and gratitude is, is something that I've tried to really take on. And, and it's, uh, it's been good. I just had a wild idea. Why don't, why don't the three of us write a book? <laughs> oh man oh man <laughs> i mean it'll be either amazing or the worst clusterfuck ever and either way it'll i don't i'm just throwing that out there i have i have no doubt it would be amazing just throwing that out because there. we could do it if it, so i'm just saying like look if, if if it happens you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> would you narrate it I, yes yeah, I, well i have to that's something that julie and i've discussed like i have to narrate my own uh writing because i know where the jokes are you know what i mean he's a control freak uh, the time <laughs> i i've written for television i've told julie this and had uh, you know and cast things and had actors then say the words that i've written and uh and at some point uh, invariably i learned why it is that playwrights all those years in New York would give me line readings, which drove me crazy. It's because like, oh, I get uh, how they hear it in their head now. Um, and at yes. some point you just have to sort of let that go and, uh, and, and, and hope for the best. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm not gonna let anybody narrate some shit I wrote. No way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's very hard for me to listen to my own audiobooks. Um, my assistant actually proofreads them first and then I go through and listen. And 
hearing my own words. And, and, and it's not because I don't love my narrators. I, I actually adore every, every single narrator I've had has been extraordinary. But I, it's, it, I cringe sometimes hearing my own words. It's hard to explain. I, no, I, I totally me, understand. Le, well, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can, I can hear it. Um, yeah. I can listen to most parts. Not, I don't listen to the sex scenes cause I just don't like to. <laughs> and then there's always, I'll always be enjoying it, you know, and then I'll, they'll say a line that I hated in the book, but didn't m- remove. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear this part because I didn't really like this part, so I'm going to skip ahead. Do you ever feel like? Do you ever feel like you hear something and they make it sound? I don't know if "better" is the right word, but different in a way that you did. Yes, yeah, you do. Yeah. Yes, I've definitely heard that. Um, it, so right now, all of my Melly Rain books are in audio. And only my shopping, well, my shopping series and then one part of my um, Her Billionaire series is in audio. And there have been moments when I have laughed myself to the point of crying and apoplectic um, from something that one of the shopping series narrators has done in the romantic comedy. And then in the Melly Rain books, there have been times that I'm like, almost overly freaked out by some intense scene Mm. (laughs) that was already intense on the page, but because we're, we're really God when we write, we get, you know, we really are fully omniscient. And so when I write, I'm writing from the creative part of me, but I'm also writing from the imagining with great excitement, how the reader's going to take this in. And I lose that filter when I'm listening to my own audiobooks. So I just become a listener for for the portions where the narrator makes it better. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like it's like suddenly I am in my story, but it's not my story. It's a story. And this I'm hearing this you know narrator just you know um um being the character and suddenly I'm the character and I'm like, Oh my God. And then I'm like, Oh, I wrote this shit. Wow. (laughs) But yes. So, so to pop the stack and go back. Yes. There have been times that narrators have definitely made the book better. I want to keep doing this for like another five hours, but we, we, I I really (laughs) do, but we know it. We can, we can go into the group or, you know, email each other or something. Uh, And, and, and tell secrets that, you know, no one else will get to hear um, because sadly <laughs> we have to cut this off. But uh, before we go, and you sort of touched on it uh, to a degree earlier, yeah. but, um, but Julie uh, has a question that I think she would like to ask. Okay. Okay. So if you knew then what you know now, what would you do different? Ooh. Uh, so if I could go back in time, first of all, I'd have published earlier. I would have had more books written in advance. I would have stuck to one series at a time because at one point I had four series open at the same time and high demand for all four. Yeah, <laughs> and that was hard. Tough. That was hard. I think that if I had published earlier and if I had... So this is back then. 
Yeah. Um, that's what I would, that's really what I would have done. I would have had more books banked. I would have also spent the money on covers. And it's not that I didn't, I, I, in the beginning I bought good, well, I bought some good covers. Um, but I didn't understand the f- importance of the cover in communicating those one or two things that say this is X genre. This is the thing you yes. are looking for, reader. And I didn't understand that. And I think those are the things that I would do differently back then. I think that's a great answer, especially about the covers, because we were in Boston. I know I mix up every trip I'm on, but this was Boston. (laughs) (laughs) And we were talking about your Melly Rain covers and how you said how great they were for that genre, right? Yes. Yes. And I love, I got to give a shout out. uh, Marianne at No Wiki Productions does all my Melly Rain covers now, and she is just unbelievably good she's just a she's good at what she does but she's also good to work with so great she, and yeah. she just those those harmless covers hit it out of the ballpark and so so if you have not read them read. go read them first go of all first them. of all look at the covers admire them and then open them yeah. read them and admire them more um julia can buy all the audiobooks and then buy too. all the audiobooks <laughs> um julia julia can you were an unequal delight Yes. Well, thank you. We love thank you. you. Both of you are great. Thank you. And I'm getting to know you more and more, Jonathan. And I will I will keep an eye out for your wit so that I can yeah, exceed no, no. it. <laughs> I, I, lo- I, I look forward to being bested. Game on! Um, all right. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Thank you both. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with the great Julia Kent. Um, Julie, is it is it fair to say that Julia Kent is our North Star? She is our North Star. That's a very good way to put it. I love Julia so much. And this was a great conversation because, um, probably because we know her, maybe. Yeah, it felt really easy. It felt it really felt like we were inviting a friend into our, the joke I made earlier about us having private conversations for the world. That's how it felt with her so it was great so so thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed it please please pick up julia's uh books pick up her shopping series pick up pick up everything by julia kent if you enjoy having a good time then julia kent is for you if you enjoy being miserable go somewhere else um also please subscribe if you are not already a subscriber to this podcast uh you can find uh everything you need to know if you haven't already been there at lovenotespodcast.com that is lovenotespodcast.com click subscribe and you will never miss an episode Uh, our next episode will be two weeks from today and that will be a conversation we'll be having with Rain Miller um, who I don't know and so I have a lot of questions for Rain and I'm very curious about uh, a lot of stuff so but I know her well so I'm, I'm excited uh, so I may just sort of sit back in the corner and listen to you guys talk shit. You might, um, which, which is, uh, which is always, <laughs> which is always like a long shot that I'll shut the fuck up for five minutes. But you never know. I might. Who knows? Um, so again, as ever and as always, thank you so very, very much for taking a listen. We really appreciate the support. We really appreciate you coming back. And um, and until next time, we will just say, oh. 
if uh, you're going to be at a Polycon over this weekend, if you're listening to this and you're at a Polycon, please come by uh, and see us. Get a book signed. Don't get a book signed. Take a picture with us. Say hello. Whatever. We would love to see you. And uh, until next time, yours in sexy solidarity, Julie and Jonathan. Bye. Is that, was that stupid? That was kind of dumb. It was fine. <laughs> okay. <that's- laughs> Love Notes is produced by Emily Durr, J.A. Huss, and J.M. May. That's not really. That's me, Jonathan McLean. Uh, executive producer is Oh My Audiobooks, an imprint of Podium Publishing. Editing is by Troy Odie. Our theme song and music is by Brandon Costello. And a special thanks to Julia Kent for having a conversation with us. I can't say it enough. She's the best. Finally, the art on our website was made by Julie Huss. Please check it out at lovenotespodcast.com. That is lovenotespodcast.com. Support for Love Notes comes from Oh My Audiobooks, where the pleasure is all yours.